After five decades of international isolation, Myanmar is now being courted by other nations as a friend. The Southeast Asian country, also known as Burma, is undergoing rapid economic and political change and emerging from decades of authoritarian military rule. New Zealand is among those lining up to extend their hand to what is being heralded as the next rising star in Asia. Myanmar has had a dizzying year of political and economic reforms. It's also had more visits from heads of states than it's had in decades. Among those visiting has been the United States President Barack Obama, two weeks after his re-election. And I welcome the government's commitment to address uh, the issues of injustice and accountability and humanitarian access and citizenship. That's a vision that the world will support as you move forward. President Obama's message was mirrored by New Zealand's Prime Minister, John Key, just days later. You know, we are trying to sort of say very clearly through our actions that they're, they're making progress, um, they're genuine about what they're doing. Um, and I think it is a, quite an important market to New Zealand over time, but I wouldn't want to overstate it in day one. But some in Myanmar are worried the visits may be too hasty. Political prisoners remain behind bars, and ethnic conflicts in border areas are unresolved. I'm Demelza Leslie, and after travelling to Myanmar, in this insight I'll look at the changes that have been happening there. Are they genuine, and what part can international communities such as New Zealand play? Myanmar was under military rule from 1962 to 2011. Following the general election in 2010, the military junta was officially dissolved and replaced by a nominally civilian government, although the military retains enormous influence. The Myanmar constitution reserves a quarter of all parliamentary seats for soldiers. Since then, under the presidency of Thien Sein, a former military commander, the country has made swift social and economic changes. The reform process that we are undertaking is uh, because we want to, our government is trying to fulfil the uh, desire and the will of the people of Myanmar. Some of the changes include easing media censorship, as well as what is said to have been an unexpected release of hundreds of political prisoners. Tutu Nine is the managing director of an IT and communications firm based in Yangon and says the speed of political change has been surprising, with reforms happening on almost a daily basis. He says it's very liberating. Every day in the newspaper, on the TV, that is, it changes every day. We haven't got this opportunity in the last 40, 50 years. We haven't got any uh, chance. Now, you know, is you, apply the, you apply the permit to demonstrate, you know, one week ahead and you got it and you can shout on the road. Whatever you like to shout, you can shout. But Mr Nine is worried some of the changes are happening too fast. Sometimes we don't have a time to prepare. This is also not good for our local side. Sek Nine left Myanmar in 2009 to study in New Zealand for a BA in Development Studies and in International Relations. 
When she returned to Yangon at the beginning of this year, she couldn't believe the turnaround. Like internet, you know, you can access the internet, and also about all now, like Aung San Suu Kyi, you know, picture everywhere, and all the um, release of the political prisoner. But of course, there are so many remaining. But there are change, you know. So every small change in Myanmar is significant. But what has been significant has been the international interest in Myanmar's transformation. Since late last year, there has been a steady stream of official visits from countries keen to support the changes and re-engage diplomatically. The Australian Foreign Minister Bob Carr, the Thai President Thaksin Shinawat, the European Commission Chief Jose... What was once known as the Rice Bowl of Asia, Myanmar has a rich endowment of fertile land and mineral resources. But decades of repressive military rule and isolation from economic interaction with the rest of the world has meant it's one of the poorest and least developed nations in Asia. Three quarters of the population live in rural areas where poverty is rife and there is little or no access to basic services or infrastructure. Prime Minister, the United States President Barack Obama. The New Zealand Prime Minister John Key. New Zealand's Foreign Affairs Minister Murray McCulley was among the early visitors gauging whether the reform process was in fact genuine. Most of us felt a deep sense of scepticism but hoped that uh, the generational change that would occur with the elections might lead, lead to some modest improvements. I think what we've uh, seen happen in the interim is beyond any expectations the international community had. Western sanctions that banned multilateral assistance and imports of Myanmar goods, as well as barring Myanmar officials from getting travel visas, have been loosened in response. There is now a strong sense of momentum about the changes that are taking place. We're seeing uh, the international community respond. New Zealand's obviously been uh, interested in the sense that I've visited the Prime Minister's going. We've had their foreign minister in town and I'm hoping they'll see a visit from their president sometime. But that just reflects what's happening elsewhere. We're seeing embassies opened, we're seeing major multinationals starting to move into Myanmar and uh, create business opportunities. On his way to the East Asian Leaders Summit in Cambodia, President Obama made a quick visit to Myanmar to strengthen ties. In a speech encouraging Myanmar's reforms, he used his own identity as proof it takes time for full democracy to take hold. I stand before you today as president of the most powerful nation on earth, but recognizing that once the color of my skin would have denied me the right to vote. And so that should give you some sense that if our country can transcend its differences, then yours can too. Last month, John Key became the first New Zealand Prime Minister to visit. He says New Zealand has to give the government there some credit, as two years ago it was in a vastly different position. There are always risks, uh, but my view is that they've now, having embarked on the journey they're on, they're very unlikely to go backwards. Um, hopefully the elections will be uh, another step forward in 2015. 
Following his meeting with the President, Thane Sain, John Key pledged $7 million in support over the next five years to build dairy farm capabilities and in humanitarian aid. Mr Key says he has received assurances from President Thane Sain that the government has formed peace and stability agreements with 10 of the 11 ethnic groups. The Rakhine province where the Rohingya Muslims live continues to pose a problem. They are actively working to try and resolve the issue. They thanked us for our contribution. Um, they recognise the difficulty and I think they'd like to resolve that issue. I mean, in the end, that's, that's been the successful programme they've had with the ten other groups. And so this is, um, I guess, the last one. And, and uh, while it's not easy, I think that's something they want to achieve. President Thane Sang describes the recent visits by the US President Barack Obama and Prime Minister John Key as important to the development of Myanmar. Through an interpreter, he promised to resolve the ethnic strife in his country. He also told reporters the government was undertaking significant democratic reform to deliver a better future for its people. We look at political reforms undertaken by our government. There are two priority areas that, that, that is, they do uh, have a uh, domestic uh, political uh, peace and stability in our country. Secondly, we are trying to put an end to the uh, ethnic armed groups uh, and to build peace with the ethnic armed groups in our country. Uh, we must say that uh, while undertaking the uh, political reforms, there are many successes. At the same time, we are also faced with challenges and obstacles ahead as, and we, as we undertake the reforms. And crucial to the reform process, he says, is economic development and foreign investment. For the economic development, we are trying to invite foreign investment into our country. Uh, as you are aware, for the past 20 years, because of the uh, economic sanctions imposed against uh, our country, it was an obstacle and hindrance to, our, to attract investment into our country. Before general elections in 2010, Myanmar was one of the most authoritarian regimes in Asia, with a closed, centralised economy where government factories churned out a variety of items, like soap and bicycles. In November, Myanmar's parliament passed a more business-friendly foreign investment law that removes some restrictions on foreign ownership of joint venture companies. And already there has been a flood of curious would-be investors eager to sell to a population that had little in the way of modern conveniences. The executive director for Myanmar Energy Resources Group, Haponi Thang. Now is the opportunity to uh, bring people like ourselves that have had the uh, experience and opportunity to study and you know, work overseas and do business to bring those skills back uh, to Myanmar and help you know, develop uh, the country. Yeah. Hiponi Thang studied and worked in Australia for many years before returning to Myanmar in 2010 to do business. Every country has a lot to contribute and can benefit and also pass on uh, you know, their uh, expertise, skills and uh, different, different things that you know, we can grow. 
But while the international community is taking the political reform at face value, the pro-democracy leader who spent 15 years under house arrest, Aung San Suu Kyi, is urging caution. She says there is danger that the international attention will give rise to a perception that everything is as it should be in Myanmar. So you will have to counteract it by saying that you know that things are not yet as it should be, but everybody is trying to make sure that they go the right way. Her party, the National League for Democracy, secured a small presence in Parliament after winning by-elections in April this year. She says the movement towards democracy will only be truly genuine once the government supports changes to its constitution, which currently bars her from taking the presidency in future elections. The constitution as it is is certainly not democratic. If Burma is to be a genuine democracy and if the 2015 elections are to be fair as well as free, then these necessary amendments will have to be made. Aung San Suu Kyi warns the international community needs to be careful how it supports Myanmar. She says any kind of aid should empower the people, not the government. What we want is people-centred aid rather than government-centred help. There are very many different ways of making it people-centred. We can do it in such a way as to, for example, promote local government, which is very important, because for a genuine democracy to emerge in this country, we need to strengthen uh, the regions rather than to strengthen the centre. And, of course, also to concentrate on community-centred projects. And, of course, we also have to think of women-centred projects. All these, the emphasis on what will decentralise power and uh, make the people, en en enable the people to take a greater part in the government of their country. There are also concerns the sometimes breathtaking economic and political changes in Myanmar have touched only a sliver of the country's 60 million people. Sek Nian, who is working on a forced labour programme, says little has changed for those living in rural areas, like her parents. Burma is famous for, you know, like, we are selling maybe gas, oil, you know, but it's uh, like for the Burmese people, like people who are in Myanmar, you see, like, there's no electricity. And then if you do not have electricity, you know, it's uh, like water, washing machine, it's uh, like life connected to it, you know, like, it, it's difficult. Almost three out of four people in Myanmar do not have access to power, despite the huge earnings pouring into the country from oil and gas exports to Thailand and China. A former Myanmar resident now living in Auckland, Stanley Saw, says the oil and gas companies have been bringing in billions of dollars annually for years, but it's only been enriching those connected to Myanmar's powerful army. What has happened in the past is about 200,000 people have been doing very well as cronies and supporters of the junta. Maybe put in the crumbs, let's say, 2 million people. That's fine. Now they've got to share that with another 50 million people. So that is quite a dilemma. That's the bit that they've got to look at very carefully to see how are they going to share that cake long term. That will be the answer to whether this change is sustainable. 
Myanmar joined the Global Extractive Industry Transparency Initiative, ETI, in July this year, which requires governments and companies to voluntarily report how much is paid for extracting natural resources. So Nanda Lin is working on that initiative. She says it will reveal the country's true wealth and shed more light on the level of corruption. EITI is one of the most important uh, uh, initiative in this country because as you know that we relied on the natural resource based uh, sector and uh, related to that I really hope that uh, for example like with New Zealand I really hope that we will we can have ethical investment in our country. New Zealand has accepted 2,152 refugees from Myanmar since 2000, making Burma the country's biggest source of refugees in the past 12 years. Pekin Ang is a former political prisoner. Seven years hard labor. Yes, yes, the prison is very worse. Everything is... I cannot explain how much... You know, the worst than you know, I cannot compare with New Zealand. Very bad situation during the, my prison time. Peking Ang arrived in New Zealand as a refugee in 2001, and he remains sceptical about the supposed change in Myanmar. Same people control the government, they're acting the government, same policy. I do not think it will be changed too much. Peking Ang believes the president, Thane Sain, is putting up a facade for the international community in order to have trade restrictions on goods produced in Myanmar eased. His thoughts are echoed by Stanley Saw in Auckland. One speculation would be that maybe Thane Shui is looking for an exit strategy. How can he leave his post in a good way? So by having this system here, if it works, then well and good, he goes out with a good name. If it doesn't work, he could still say, hey, I gave you the chance, it didn't work. Still goes out in a good way, so it's a win-win for him. Mr Saw believes the Saffron Revolution in 2007, where the military shot and killed a number of protesting Buddhist monks and imprisoned many others, has also been instrumental. He says since then the morale in the military has reduced dramatically, increasing the desertion rate. And furthermore, the lower rank and file is questioning the role they play. So that is another difficult situation for any dictator to manage. So perhaps that could be another reason why the change needed to happen. Tinmama U arrived in Auckland in 2000 as a 13-year-old refugee from Myanmar. She also believes the military leadership was backed into a corner and had run out of options. It is a saving face for them, but on the other hand, Burma is also getting out of control because everybody is suffering in such a bad way that they cannot no longer be able to maintain in their authoritarian leadership. The only way for them to be respected again and um, in the international community is by having some negotiations. Ms. U says young people need a better future in Myanmar. 
they are living under you know constant fear, fighting for their survival. Um, they are not able to live as a child, and I think bad leadership. It, it, it is so mean to these kids to be able to take up the adults' responsibilities because kids should be kids. New Zealander and union aid chair Ross Wilson is leading an international labour organisation project in Myanmar. For the first time in 50 years, those in Myanmar can organise and form their own trade union organisations, bargain collectively and take strike action. I think most importantly they can meet together and speak freely and express their views and I think in the workshops and training uh, that I've undertaken that's the thing that they really relish, the freedom to, to speak and to complain and to air their grievances and to actually take some action. Since the law came into effect at the end of April, more than 260 unions have been registered. They're actually taking the uh, opportunities that the, the reform process is, is providing to them and pay rates are very, very low. You know, they're perhaps not as low in some cases as Bangladesh, but uh, they're very low given the, the cost of living, particularly in the Yangon area. Ross Wilson expects that following the easing of international trade sanctions, the fastest economic growth will come out of the garment industry. Myanmar is looking to New Zealand for assistance in mining, health and pharmaceuticals, tourism, agriculture and education. The Prime Minister, John Key, explains what New Zealand can offer. I suggested to the President that he might want to send some people to both Lincoln and Massey universities because obviously they've got tremendous interest in increasing their agricultural know-how. Uh, that's going to be a big focus of attention for the President when he comes down to New Zealand and so um, I think that would make a lot of sense. But um, what is quite clear is they're looking to New Zealand to assist them in education. Um, they are very focused on the level of unemployment they've got. They're very focused on the fact that they need inbound foreign investment. He actively encouraged me to encourage New Zealand companies uh, to, to invest in this market and have confidence in the long-term future. New Zealand's exports to Myanmar are currently small and fluctuate from year to year and are limited to dairy and some poultry. The New Zealand Trade Commissioner for Myanmar, Karen Campbell, describes the business opportunities. It's really wide-ranging. I think there are obviously food and beverage opportunities and New Zealand products probably sit really well with the top end of the Myanmar market and also the expat market. And there are some particular supermarket chains who operate in that space. Um, for a more mass market, there are hypermarket type of uh, operators where, where there will be food and business opportunities, but also education, um, vocational skills, electricians, engineers. They're going to need a lot of those people. So partnerships in education, also teaching English will, will be important there. And I think it's not just enough to send kids from here back to New Zealand, but you know, to actually build the skills and transfer the ownership into the, into the business here. But businesses need to have confidence they can trade in Myanmar. Most transactions are done in cash, including by the government. Earlier this year, however, the first automatic teller machines were introduced in Myanmar. Both Visa and MasterCard have also signed up to issue credit cards. That will be the key to opening up some of these payments um, infrastructure, and particularly the ATM networks. I don't think it will be far away.
David Borrell of the Wellington-based telecommunications company Oceanic, who has spent some time in Myanmar, is among those lining up to invest. There are currently three million mobile phone users, and Myanmar's government has a stated ambition of achieving 30 million users within five years. Mr Borrell says in the next few months, the government is expected to put four mobile licences out for tender. The initial decision was tempered with uh, some reservations as to whether these changes would continue or not, and of course that's high risk. So, but we took the, the position that if we were in early, then we would be in a good position. So we've made a lot of, uh, a lot of good relationships here already with local folk, and uh, we hope to help local businesses and uh, create local employment here in the process as well. When David Borrell first attempted to start business relationships in Myanmar 18 months ago, people were fearful of making decisions. We had to have a lot of patience and I'm finding that's changing because people are waking up and understanding these reforms that their government is making, what that actually means to the person on the street. And they're building in confidence because of it and it's changing them. Becca is one of the largest engineering and related consultancy services companies in the Asia-Pacific. It employs 45 people in Myanmar and is working on a few local projects, including a 400-room hotel extension in Yangon. Becca's managing director, Asia, Paul White, says there is more of an appetite for foreign investment. Which will foster the development of the airports, the tourism industry, and, um, and then lift the livelihood of the people, which brings on other project opportunities that we service in other parts of Asia as well and have witnessed. So uh, food and beverage sector, for example, is there's more and more demand in that, that field. His colleague, Jimmy Walsh, says Myanmar is very strategically located between China and India, and it has inherent wealth. So, of course, everybody's quite interested. It'll be a challenge to see how they manage all that interest, uh, but they are very smart uh, people, and they historically have had high levels of education. Uh, Rangoon or Yangon University traditionally was one of the best in Asia, and it's about just managing that change. I think they're well able to. But the Labour Party MP Phil Goff, who made a point not to engage with the military-ruled Myanmar when he was in office as Foreign Affairs Minister between 1999 and 2005, says it would be wrong of New Zealand and other international communities to just focus on economic trade with Myanmar and the profits that might flow. We need to be there as a friend and as a country prepared to assist in that process of change. So we need to help them across the board. If we look like we're just taking a mercantile approach, we're just out to exploit the economic opportunities, uh, that's no way to, to, to develop a sustainable relationship. So are the visits from heads of state too early? Aung San Suu Kyi says outside support is important because the road to democracy will be long. I don't think one can say that anything is too early or too late. It depends on what you make of it. And we've got to make the best of whatever happens. I'm Demelza Leslie and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at radionz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by William Saunders.